This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. It's one of the most epic pieces of storytelling in the Bible that we've got before us today. Uh, we're going to let that shape us and speak to us. So let's ask God to help us as we do that. Will you pray with me? Uh, give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. We are, or have been, slaves. The reality of our slavery, yours and mine, occurs on a number of different levels. It's external and it's internal. For example, there are powerful forces that control our world that we can do nothing about. Modern pharaohs roam our planet, whether that be in the form of political leaders or economic giants or cultural forces or the various systems of corrupt power that shape our world and shape our lives. But we're also prey to an internal and inner slavery, a slavery of the heart, it's a captivity, not just of the body, but indeed especially of the soul. You and I have this weird Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. We can see the good that there is there for us to do, but yet we find ourselves not doing it. We continually do things we know are not good. Or we convince ourselves that the things that are not good are good. This is the effect of our slave master, sin. And it holds us fast like Pharaoh held the Israelites. And it has the same lethal potential. It's deadly. Today I'm going to talk about what really is the central theme of the Bible. That is salvation. The Bible, if it says anything, says that you and I need to be saved. And that the one who can save us is the Lord God the Lord of Israel, the Lord of Jesus Christ. Now, Exodus, which, of course, is a story about salvation. I mean, the, the word Exodus means way out, becomes a template throughout the Bible for getting saved. And we see this happen again and again throughout the Bible, even in the story of Jesus in the Gospels. We're going to talk today about that salvation. And we're going to talk firstly about what we are getting saved from which is captivity to sin and its after effect, death. How we're getting out of it, secondly, which is that we are crossing over by grace. And thirdly, why we are getting out of it. We're getting out of it because we have a mediator. So first of all, what are we getting saved from? If there's a salvation story in the Bible, what is it that we are being saved from? We are being rescued from sin and death. It was Rousseau who said, man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. This is a perceptive piece of spiritual analysis. The condition of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt is a great picture of the human condition itself, that we are in bondage, though we long for freedom more than anything. But to come to church this morning and to hear that you're enslaved is rather confronting, perhaps even impolite piece of news. We may not like to hear it. 
This morning I noticed a rather odd media story, Uh, not this morning, this week I noticed an odd media story, it was a week for rather odd media stories or significant ones, this was rather insignificant, you may not have noticed it, and it was about the favourite Bible verse of all time. Um, The favourite Bible verse of all time is, I'm not allowing the chairman of the uh, the, the, um, CEO of the Bible Society to answer this, but um, what is the favourite Bible verse of all time? John 3.16, of course it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse, John 3.16, has recently been pushed down the table of favourite verses on, as measured by social media references by another verse and that's from Jeremiah 29 verse 11 which says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, it's a very interesting switch. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, read out of context, sounds like it's a promise to us for everything. A huge blessing without cost. But John 3.16 tells a salvation story. A salvation story is no less good news. But a salvation story tells us that we need to be saved, that we need to cross over from a place of danger to a place of safety. And that is a bit confronting to our pride. It tells us that all is not well with us now. And that's hard for us to hear. Now, you think the Israelites would have realised that they needed saving, that they wouldn't have a problem seeing their need to get out of captivity in Egypt. They'd lost all their rights. They'd gone from a free citizenry to becoming captives, and they had been uh, enlisted to do Pharaoh's building work in the hot Egyptian sun. They then had to make bricks with straw just to make everything a little bit harder, and after that they'd faced a genocide at the hands of their master. This was how they lived. But as they set off into the wilderness and they begin to hear the thundering hooves of Pharaoh's mighty army chasing them, behind them, they start to complain to Moses. Look at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 14. Was it because, they said, there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I love that. It's kind of bitter, dark humor, isn't it? There's plenty of graves in Egypt. And they're sort of being a little bit sarky with, uh, with Moses here. You know, was there no place to bury us? That you had to bring us out to have our corpses lie in the, in the desert, on the sand? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is not the very thing we told you in Egypt? This is the told you so moment. Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I wonder if you can empathize with them. There's a sort of logic to it, isn't there? It's the logic of the prisoner who gets set free, but then commits a crime to get sent back to the familiarity and routine of the jail cell with the square meals and the shelter. As the story goes on, as we see more of what happens to Israel in the desert, we'll see that they start to remember slavery in Egypt with a fuzzy romantic glow. At least, they say, we had good food there. We had a warm bed and a house of a kind. Never mind that their babies were being killed. Had they forgotten that? 
You and I are like that in our nostalgia for our captivity to sin. We can't see it when we are in it. And when we are out of it, we sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, but I do, catch ourselves romanticizing our previous life. It's not an unfamiliar experience for Christians setting out on the journey of salvation to think, you know, hmm, I remember when life was so much better, when I didn't have to think about following Christ or changing the way I think or act, when I didn't have the inconvenience of belonging to a Christian community with all the weird and odd and unpleasant people that come week by week. Everyone's looking around. But how are we being saved? By crossing over by grace. The Israelites were very afraid. They could not see a way to escape. The danger they were in made them think that slavery might have been a better option. Coming to the shores of the sea, and we're not sure which sea it was when, not necessarily clear on the exact route of the Exodus, but it seemed like a massive Google Maps error. What Moses says next to them is remarkable. He says to them, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to keep still. This is one of the strangest pep talks of all time. But it's one of the best. How are they to get saved? The Lord will do it. And what have they got to do? Moses tells them, you have only to keep still. Now, is this keeping still doing nothing? Is it just inactivity? Well, not quite. For what they had to do was entrust themselves entirely into the Lord's hand. They had to hear his promise and they had to go with him. They had to give up the options. They had to give up the option of surrendering to the Egyptians. They had to give up the option of turning to fight them, which would have been hopeless. They had to give up the option of trying to find some sneaky escape route. And they had to go with the Lord. We know the story of what then happened. The sea before the Israelites that had seemed to trap them, hem them in, was parted by the Lord. There was a wall of water to the right and to the left, heaped up piles of water. And then the Israelites went through in the middle on the dry ground. Now let's not be mealy-mouthed about this. This is a miracle of extraordinary supernatural power. We moderns are usually sceptical of this sort of story, and rightly so. We hesitate to believe them just as they're written. I can't fully address the question of miracles today, though of course I'd be happy to discuss it with you and uh, to talk about it. It's an important question that deserves more time. But here's the thing. Our author knows this. He doesn't just plonk in a miracle. He knows exactly what the story is telling us. The Israelites are saved by something they couldn't have done. The Israelites are saved 
not by their own stratagems. They had no secret escape route. They'd run out of ideas. Even Moses, their leader, had nothing. All they had was the power of the Lord and his willingness to save them. All they could do was keep still. And that's how you and I get saved too. Keep still and see what God will accomplish. Just watch him. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he has the one who really has the freedom to be who he determines to be. Remember his name, the name that he declared to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. I will be who I will be. A name no human being could ever rightly own. God has that name. And if he is for us, then even the sea and the waves... And no obstacle. If God is for us, then even sin and death part way before him. Even they open up in front of us. Moses says to the Israelites then, see the deliverance, literally, the Yeshua that God will do before you today. And that word Yeshua, we translate, we translate as Jesus, we hear as Jesus in the New Testament. See the Jesus. See the salvation of the Lord. And that takes us to the third part of this salvation story, which is the why. Why can we be saved? Because we have a mediator. Because we have someone who goes between us and God. You have to feel for Moses in the story of Exodus. He's really, he's really sandwiched right between the people of God and between God. He's the meat in the sandwich. He's certainly triangulated into um, an extraordinary trialogue. And uh, it's an ongoing one. The Israelites complaining, Moses handing those complaints on to God, God speaking back to Moses, he going back to the people and so on. In verse 15, the Lord speaks to Moses as if he is speaking to the people. Why do you cry out to me? And then the Lord works his power, not just by doing it, but by doing it through Moses as Moses holds his staff up over the his staff up with his old man's feeble hand over the sea. In Jesus, we have a mediator as the New Testament says, who is an even greater mediator than Moses, one who is extraordinarily accomplished and successful and powerful, one who is more worthy to be our advocate, our representative before God. He was our advocate before God and the agent of God's saving power and grace. He was one like us in every way but without sin. And in offering himself on the cross, he liberates us from the shackles of sin and death. He opens up a path for us through sin and death, forces even more powerful than the sea itself, and leads us through on the dry ground. So then, are you still? Have you shut out all the other possibilities, all the distractions? Are you seeking your own strategies to find deliverance? Are you ready to give up 
and return to the Egypt of sin and death. I'll just live out my years and shrug my shoulders. What more can I do? Do you perhaps refuse to believe that all you have to do is keep still? It seems like so little. We're, we're proud, educated, busy people who like doing things. We want to help. Surely God needs our help in rescuing us. And yet here, we are told, only keep still and look to Yeshua, God's salvation. You can imagine, of course, as some of the Israelites strode through the middle of the sea, parted before them with uh, amazing confidence, as if they were walking the dog, not even noticing the danger to their right and to their left. But I'm sure that there were others who saw the great piles of water, like tsunamis heaped up around them, and thought, I'm going to die. This is the end. I can't believe I found myself here. There are Christians like that too. You might be one or the other. In parts of your life, you might have been one or the other. Crossing over from death to life can fill you with uncertainty and dread and doubts. You might remember as you step forward in faith the things that you have left behind. You are not saved, though, by the strength of your faith, just as the Israelites weren't. But even nervous, terrified, tiny faith is enough when it comes to the saving power and the loving heart of the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God of Jesus Christ. So do what you can to find that saving stillness before God and marvel at his great salvation. There's two ways I think you can do that in particular. First of all, that stillness comes from knowing that you have no other hope. So if you want to find it, it's worth making an honest inventory of your soul so that you don't bluff yourself into believing that there's some self-help strategy out there that you can pursue that's going to get you out. And we do that each week as we come and confess our sins, an unusual, weird kind of thing to do, really. As we come before God, we make this sort of inventory of the soul, and it's a moment for us to actually say, no, I offer you nothing, God, I just am still, and I look to your salvation. But that's something you can pursue, of course, uh, with the help of a, a, a wise friend or at home on your own. So that stillness comes from knowing just exactly how you are situated before God, what you are really like. And secondly, that stillness comes, as Moses says, from marvelling at the grace of God, his Yeshua. That is, as the New Testament tells us, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Make Jesus the object of your meditation and your fascination. Make him the fixation of your heart. In him, you can see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for us today. No matter what army is bearing down upon you, no matter what darkness is crushing you, what thing is oppressing you, no matter what darkness you find in yourself, in your soul, 
you have in Jesus a path through sin and death to freedom, a road from death to life. So keep still and walk through on the dry ground. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.